Let me tell you what this political movement is about. Jobs and growth for all Australians. Gone jobs and growth. Have great jobs. Economic growth. Strong growth. More jobs. When they go low, we go high. So I'm seeing in my mind something very similar with this bill to a colonoscopy. Let me just stop you so you don't waste a line of questioning. I'm just giving you... I love the mansplaining. I would build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me. Please clap. Please clap. This is Represent. 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 On Sin Nation. Good afternoon. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. I'm Julia. I'm Zizi. I'm Isadora. And we are back with a super interesting week in politics. Like, what a week. Um, we'll be talking about Section 44 yet again. It's a gift that keeps on giving. It never ends. It never ends. Um, we'll be talking a bit about um, the events in um, the University of Virginia and um, how can we report on these issues in a way that's responsible, um, following from um, the, the controversy around um, Triple J's hacks kind of discussion around these issues. We'll be talking at Pauline Hansen and much more in Pop Chat. Um, but you can get involved too. Send us a tweet to at SinRepresent or follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash SinRepresent. We really want to hear your, your thoughts about these issues. Um, so join in the conversation. But first, we're going to play a very, very um, fitting song. Um, for Section 44. Um, this is Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs with Hazel Roll. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. there with Heads Will Roll. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation and we are talking about Section 44 and the many victims that it has claimed. Heads are rolling. Yeah, well, so far we've lost, well, we haven't lost because many of them are still in their position, but seven members of Parliament and Senate have been named as potentially false members of parliament because of section 44 many of them owing foreign allegiance to either british uh, citizenship or new zealand citizenship a lot of commonwealth um, irregularities but this week is kind of i guess historic because we've had three parliamentarians being named in the citizenship scandal um barnaby joyce obviously quite has got quite a lot of coverage as the deputy PM and leader of the Nationals. But the Nationals have also potentially lost Fiona Nash, who is their deputy, um, over her admitting to the Senate that she was, or she is a British citizen as well. Uh, and this morning we woke to the shocking revelation that Nick Xenathon may actually be a dual citizen as well due to a condition of British citizenship given to Cypriot citizens and his father being a Cypriot citizen and he inheriting that. So we've had quite a few... Yeah. Um, 
where they're really just dropping off like flies. Of course, none of them have resigned like the Green Senators. They're all referring their case to the High Court. Um, just because I think so many are unknown that they, they did not have active foreign allegiance. Mm. Um, a lot of these citizenships were automatic and they didn't realise. So they're going to contest all of these in the High Court. Um, probably the Greens are regretting their decision mm. to step down. Uh, Although, of course, they are going to be... Um, they've referred their own cases to the High Court. It's just that they've... yeah they took the step to resign before doing that referral so they'll the hacker will also be looking at those circumstances but the outcome of which i don't know if it's, it's yeah, complicated. i don't think they could regain no, their seats absolutely but not but yeah the question it will be posed it's very typical greens taking the high moral ground and resigning <laughs> and all the other parties kind of sticking to their guns and digging in it's it's something that is like just absolutely mind-boggling um because I'm just thinking back about like when these began to start. Um, I was in America then, and um, a person on my tour who is Australian and Irish was kind of like, "How how can someone like not know that they're a citizen? Like, you know, Scott Ludlam sounds really really sus here." And I was kind of like, you know, because I was speaking to someone who is also a dual citizen and is very aware of it. Um, was like traveling with both. I think he traveled with the Irish one just because like didn't want to mess up with, you know, he has two passports. And, like, it was really interesting because, like, I was kind of, like, agreeing, like, yeah, this is a really weird thing. And then, like, you know, now it's like, oh, look at your family. Like, do you have a parent that's overseas who's, you know, a, um, like, a foreign national? Like, my dad's a Malaysian citizen, so I'm like, oh, wait, what if I'm a dual citizen? Can't be a dual citizen if you're Malaysian. Well, fun fact, this yeah. week, I, alongside Barnaby Joyce, realised I was a New Zealand citizen. Wow. Uh, and I had not realised that Sweet before. Sweet is, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I guess um, I didn't realise how easy it is to fall into this trap of automatic citizenship uh, without realising it. I always assumed that it would have to be something I would have to invoke. And I guess with all these senators, the same applied. Um, and I guess that's the devious trap of Section 44, is that you can have allegiance without formally signing yourself up to it or receiving any paperwork. I guess that's an outdated part of Section 44. Yeah. I guess there are a few people in Australia now getting a bit of an education, perhaps. Um, they might be a, a few discovering their um, New Zealand roots might have given them another gift. Um, but uh, I think it's interesting, perhaps this law wasn't particularly clear to some in New Zealand as well, because there was a report um, a while back uh, in the News Limited papers, and uh, you know they had asked New Zealand uh, media, uh, government media advisor about it, and they came back with the response that you know Barnaby Joyce isn't wasn't a, a citizen, so you know that was like a month ago, and obviously things have moved a pace since then, but perhaps yeah, not the most um, commonly held knowledge. Uh, well, the interesting thing about uh, Barnaby Joyce is, of course, that his father was born in New Zealand, but before New Zealand citizenship existed. So technically, he was a citizen of the British Crown, um, much like uh, Nick Xenophon's father and, I believe, Fiona Nash's parents. They were considered citizens of the Crown, um, and therefore 
both Australian citizens and New Zealand citizens. It's how New Zealand wrote their constitution that is now affecting these children of British nationals. That is quite interesting. It's it's just like shocking. Yeah, and there there have been calls for Section Forty Four to be reformed. Um, not only just because we're losing so many representatives, but because this is uh, a section that has raised a lot of controversy. Not just the the first section, the first section, which is the allegiance to a foreign power, but also the subsection which talks about proceeds from the crown. Sure. Uh, this has called out quite a few senators who happen to be public servants or teachers in public gu- in public schools. Um, and even people who are running for student government who then applied to run as a representative for local government, all these people were technically proceeding, making money off the government and therefore could not run to represent themselves in government. Uh, that has been something that has annoyed quite a few people who may think you know, public servants and teachers would make good representatives for our population, but... Of course, Section 44 knocks them out. I think the renewed debate about a referendum for Section 1 is interesting. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people talking about Australia as a multicultural nation should accept dual citizenship. And it is such a... It's such a tricky thing because you have to deal with another country in every single case. Um, On Q&A, Sam Dastiari was talking about how he had to revoke his Iranian citizenship and the kind of bureaucratic nightmare that was it cost a lot of money needed lawyers on both sides I mean like revoking a UK citizenship is a lot quicker and easier and cheaper so I think (coughs) that's like a really complicated thing um there are some countries like yeah and you have to think about countries like Iran that have their own stuff going on like aren't you know, they're, they're countries that are under turmoil. Like, how do you go in and be like, hey, just going to revoke my citizenship just because of this? It's difficult. Yeah. Um, There's certainly complexities to um, all of the um, the rigours of, of getting rid of that citizenship for the requirements. But I think it's interesting, despite that, the idea of reform, when you think about the number of constitutional reforms that have been touted over the last couple of years perhaps the appetite for having a referendum on this issue is... a massive referendum on so many issues. Yeah, I mean, I think in in terms of what um, constitutional reform, in terms of priorities, um, this might be pretty low on the list and and, um, maybe some Australians might feel that, um, yeah, like there are more important um, referendum to to be putting out there because, you know, obviously having a constitutional referendum is, is like a full involved process and um, Mm -hmm. as we well know with the uh, equal marriage debate Um, but yeah it's interesting that there's that discussion but I don't think it's yeah potentially going to get up and running anytime soon. I think also there's not quite an appetite for reform in at least in the section where it talks about dual citizen because I citizenship because I think a lot of Australians do want our representatives just to be Australian. And it does sound quite parochial and closed, um, but I think there is uh, a logic 
to uh, the representatives of Australia purely being Australian citizens. Mm. I mean, the interesting thing about Matt Canavan's case, where he's an Italian citizen, uh, because of the nuances of the Italian constitution, he could technically run as a representative of the diaspora Italian community while being in Australia. And I think his case, well, it was unlikely he would ever invoke that. The idea that he could represent both the Australian Parliament and Mm. the Italian Parliament is a huge conflict of interest. Oh, absolutely. And one that I don't think many Australians appreciate, even in a hypothetical situation. Oh, yeah, totally. But I think it's also, like, we have to remember that the difficulties of this is that there are people who are unknowingly citizens. Mm. And because they unknowingly are citizens... Do they really have allegiance? Because, it, like, you know, you're probably not thinking about this country that you don't even know that you're a citizen of, citizen of you know? Well, I guess that's what all the, um, the people caught up in the Section 44 debate will be talking about in the High Court, is whether you can mm-hmm. have unknown allegiance. Because that's, that's that murky bit. That's the bit that's weird. Mm. And you're an accidental New Zealander. Yeah, like, ex- exactly. You know? It's so easy to be accidentally aligned with another nation (coughs) Um, I think we forget other countries have complex constitutions which might wrap us up in it and I think that like in the case of like Britain you're going to think that you know former empire of course they're going to give everyone citizenships just as a like just as a safety precaution almost it's, it's definitely going to be interesting um, hearing what comes out of the High Court mm. uh, in a couple of weeks. They've got a lot of work set up for them. I think every single it's one of the seven fun. cases is so being referred. It's going to be so much fun. <laughs> it's going to be very amusing to watch. Do you want to also see something that was also a bit amusing, which was um, Julie Bishop's accusation of Bill Shorten in regards to um, Section 44? I feel like we should, just because we need, we need a bit of drama. On the issue of citizenship, there has been a dramatic development this morning. The New Zealand Labor leader, Jacinda Ardern, has revealed that Bill Shorten sought to use the New Zealand Parliament to undermine the Australian Government. Bill Shorten has sought to use a foreign political party to raise serious allegations in a foreign parliament designed to undermine confidence in the Australian government. Bill Shorten has serious questions to answer. This is highly unethical at least, but more importantly puts at risk the relationship between the Australian government and the New Zealand government. Bill Shorten must reveal who he put up to this dirty task and the details of his urging of a foreign political party to be involved in efforts to undermine the Australian government. We're used to these dodgy backroom duels from Bill Shorten when he was leader of the union movement. He's now brought that into not only Australian politics but into our international relationships and Bill Shorten should be called to account for this appalling behavior that was very spicy yeah accusing a the opposition leader of colluding with a foreign power i mean that's going to be another thing of section 44 um 
undermining the the current parliament. I I don't know how effective this was as an attack. I think that like a lot of people are just being like, "Wow, you're just playing politics." Like, chill. Mm. It definitely seemed a little. Uh, <coughs> uh, a bit of an overreach. It's a slightly desperate sort of um, extra attack. Extra. A little extra. I think for sure. Yeah, a lot of people see this as Julie Bishop trying to cover up. What is generally seen by the public is party incompetence, you know, the inability to check your senators to make sure that they are eligible to sit. And instead of admitting that some system failed or that they hadn't done the proper checks and balances, instead she goes, turns around and she tries to attack the opposition. I think it's a bit... Um, Very transparent. Yeah. Which is, must be a really hard position for her because it's not even her party, you no. know? Like, they're partners in the coalition government, but um, in terms of the checks and balances when Joyce, um, you know, was elected, uh, that's entirely on the nationals. So, um, yeah, it must be a bit disappointing for the Liberals to then have to be forced into the position of yeah. defending that. Yeah, it's like if you're it's kind of like you're in a marriage with someone and then there's, you know, you have, like, a, a shared account and your partner is, like in debt but you're also in debt because mm. you're sharing an account with your partner. I think a lot of section 4 is about parties not properly vetting their candidates. Yeah. And I think that's why the major parties have come out relatively unscathed by the section 44. The exception of course is Matt Canavan. <coughs> um but of he claims he didn't even know and it's due to his mother applying for citizenship. It's a lot more complex, I think, than people who are either born overseas, such as the Green Senators, or people who didn't do the proper checks with the complexities of British citizenship, such as the, the Nationals, and I, I guess now the Nick Xenathon Party. And that's definitely why I think the, the ALP are coming out so strongly. Um, they seem pretty certain of their um, candidates, mm-hmm. um, the the method of which they go through to check all of this um, before putting them up to campaign or be elected. Um, if they weren't so sure, I don't know if they'd be attacking so strongly on this, but um, I don't know, yes. after the, the current you know state of affairs and the rolling week on week, oh, it's, it's a bit stressful uh, watching that hard attack because you've kind of got to wonder, um, ha- have they done enough? Yeah. I think it's going to be a really, really big problem for Turnbull. Um, he's just barely hanging on, and it's pretty obvious that he's just barely ha- ha- like hanging on because, you know, what's happened to his cabinet? Where is it? Yeah, it's definitely contributing to the general state of chaos, and that's not what you want when, when, you, when you want to, you know, show that... Uh, voters that you're governing and you're a competent government and um, getting things done for them. but um, Or either just on the basis of the fact you have a one-seat majority and you've currently got three absolutely. of your representatives <coughs> in the House of, Pal- House of um, uh, Lower House being scrutinised for their eligibility to sit there. If this goes to a by-election, it would be a very interesting um, outcome. As well, we could see the whole nation's government being ruled by an election in New England <laughs> in Barnaby Joyce's old seat or Matt Canavan's seat in Victoria. And I, I guess the amount of campaigning money that would go in there would be very interesting if it did go to a by-election. Exciting. Very, very, very complicated stuff. 
we're going to go to a song now. This is Don't Dream It's Over. Perhaps this is a good song to, um, you know, really just talk about Barnaby Joyce's career. You know, Don't Dream It's Over. And uh, it's by Crowded House, which is similarly, you know, like, like Barnaby Joyce and ZZ. Bit, bit New Zealandish, bit Australian. Uh, you're listening to Represent on Sim Nation. Also, you can join in the conversation. Um, tweet to us at Sim Represent or follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Sim Represent. house there with don't dream it's over you're listening to represent on sin nation and we are going to the u.s now and we'll be discussing um the charlottesville um rally which was very had a very tragic um outcome unfortunately and before we um talk about this we should mention like if this makes anyone feel uncomfortable we are going to be discussing um issues around white supremacy um, and racism, and we understand that this is possibly quite um, discomforting. So if you feel like you need to talk to someone, please talk to um, the Kids Helpline, which is one eight hundred five five one eight hundred, or Lifeline, um, which is 13 11 14. Or um, if you don't feel comfortable listening, just chill out. Maybe you listen to something else for a while and then come back, um, because we will be discussing some pretty heavy issues right now. Um, so we're, we're going to be talking about this particular um, incident and we're not only going to be discussing the incident itself, but we're also going to be talking about, um, as reporters, how do we discuss things like white supremacy in a way that doesn't skewer the way we like look at things, that doesn't just play into um, traditional like systems of like oppression and hierarchy, which continues to hurt people. Um, because we've had a bit of an interesting case uh, in Australian media where um, Hack d- decided to um, interview a neo-Nazi and I'm pretty sure they got trolled for it and they also got a lot of scrutiny because they were like, well, why are you giving this person a platform? So I'm going to roll the ball off to Isadora. What are your thoughts about this? Well, obviously I'm... Um I watched the events at Charlottesville and it was extremely distressing. Um, I have American friends and obviously um, any sort of form of violence, particularly between um, two groups <coughs> of people, peaceful protesters, um, to the rally, it, it's distressing scenes. Um, but in regards to the um, uh, sort of, well, first of all, I think much of the story after the sort of initial incident centred around... Um, Trump's delayed response and um, sort of two days you can compare it to the swiftness at which he responds to other terrorism incidents worldwide including um, the events in Barcelona um, yesterday um, 
his condemnation of the neo-Nazi groups was then, um, I think, widely criticised as um, lending sort of false equivalence between groups, um, saying uh, not being specific enough in condemning the far-right nationalists and their aggression. Um, and if you've seen any of the images, you'll have seen um, they came uh, with quite heavy um, arms, which obviously is like a critical point, in, which is relevant to the American um, uh, incident. Uh, so all of that is swirling around uh, the Charlottesville uh, discussion. Um, and then he had a, what I would describe as a train crash of a press conference where he again lent into the discussion of the equivalence between far-right and far-left protesters. And um, I think that was quite an interesting um, point at which, uh, you know, it, it, it looks at how we view each of these groups and also how reporters report on them, how we have a public conversation about them. I think the interesting thing about Trump's condemnation wasn't so much that he looked at violence at both sides, is that that line of argument is what a lot of the white supremacist groups use to rally the huge numbers that we see. We hear them talk about we have to show up in mass in order to protect ourselves against the radical left. And I think while there are members of the radical left who do use violence, they are far in the minority of the people who were at that the Charlottesville protests. A lot of these were just civil rights campaigners, quite peaceful protesters. Of course you can have extremes, but largely this was a, a peaceful protest which was then attacked. Um, and they were protesting against what is an ideology of I would I would believe that white supremacy is an ideology that is quite violent mm. um, inherently. So it was concerning to see the President of the United States using the the language of these alternative right groups in order to, yeah, as you said, create a false equivalence, which I don't think is actually present. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think, um, like, I know that countries like Germany... Um, Angela Merkel spoke out quite quickly against the neo, well, what she perceived to be neo Nazis um, in Charlottesville. Um, I think that it's like a little bit surprising that probably she was a lot harsher um, than Trump, which, you know, it's not even her country. Like, why does she need to care about it? Um, but I think I. I don't know how to put this into words, and I completely just lost my train of thought. Uh, in regards to Angela Merkel uh, rejecting uh, neo-Nazis, I think Europe is seeing a rise, a similar rise of mm. alternative right groups. But I think the memory of World War II is a lot more strong, embedded, especially in Germany. Germany, there's a lot of countries in the region who have specific laws about you cannot be a Holocaust denier, for example. And if you go there, you can face um, being jailed for denying that this atrocity existed. And I think there's a huge awareness that 
this thing happened and this thing was a tragedy and that these views should not be accepted. And even in this region, we're still seeing a rise of an alternative right groups. Mm. Uh, I think most notoriously there's uh, a Hungarian group that is quite prominent even in their parliament that is has some association with neo-Nazism. We're seeing more graffiti appearing around Germany that is... We're seeing more swastikas <coughs> graffitied in Germany and in Eastern Europe, we're just seeing a general rise of alt-right as, mm. I wouldn't say a movement, but definitely a, a presence yeah. that's making itself known. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're seeing it to the same degree in Australia, but there are groups, and obviously Triple J's hack did reach out to those groups to try and talk to them about this kind of, what is seen as a, a, a Western rise yeah. In neo-Nazism. I think it's complicated because I think um, it's interesting because a lot of the probably dangerous or concerning things that the left has done has only happened after these events. For instance, um, on Twitter there was... And actually, I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing, though there was a case where they of a bit of a mistaken identity, but... Um, they they got the photos of the people who were, who had the tiki, the tiki lights, which aren't white. They're Polynesian. Like, why are the white people using, like, a Polynesian-based like torch? It's ridiculous. Um, but they tried to name and shame everyone who they could, um, and they ended up getting someone who actually didn't turn up to the rally, and there was like a lot of hate mail and stuff like that to that person. It's like, hey, didn't go there. Um, but again, I think that's a problem with. I guess, uh, citizen journalism. Exactly, totally. And citizen activism using kind of a witch hunt yeah. to track down people. Yeah. Verging on but that vigilantism. Was, but that was after someone had died. Well, after three people died, if you include the 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 um, the helicopter crash, which was kind of related but somewhat unrelated. Um, so there was a helicopter um, that was in Charlottesville, and I think... It was like a police helicopter, and they were like looking at what was happening, but it crashed and two people died. Um, as well as the the woman who was um, ran over by the by the car. Um, it's interesting as well because we kind of having a bit of a segue about how we talk about these issues, and you know, do we call these terrorist attacks? Um, because you know, this particular person who, of course, not every single person who was marching in this march was in that car and hurting people. But, you know, would we call that one attacker a terrorist? I think if we look at the straight definition of terrorism, it's a an attack that is used as a piece of propaganda in order to further a political ideology or make demands upon a group. Um, and using this definition, I think we can very clearly see that this man made the attack as a political statement against what he perceived as a, a, I guess, a violent other group. This was his stance against them. I think it, if, if we look at it based off purely what we believe is terrorism, pursuing a political ideology through violence, that is what it was. Mm. And I don't think there's any, there's much ambiguity on it. So I guess what happens with that is how do we report on it? Um, and the Washington Post, interestingly enough, um, they released this article which was like, what if Western media covered Charlottesville the same way it covers 
um, violence in other nations. So it's kind of like they've written in this article, um, like as if they were talking about like an issue, maybe like something that was happening in Africa or in the Middle East. Um, you know, the flash, like for instance, this is a section of it. The latest flashpoint occurred this past weekend when the former Confederate stronghold of Charlottesville descended into chaos following rallies of white supremacist groups protesting the removal of statues celebrating leaders of the defeated Confederate states. The chaos turned deadly when Heather Heyer, a member of the white ethnic majority who attended the rally as a counter-protest, was killed with a man with neo-Nazis. With, was killed when a man with neo-Nazi sympathies allegedly drove his car into the crowd. So that's very different to how most people report on this. And I think it's really interesting how we don't necessarily... Well, if we're talking in the context of America, homegrown terrorism as in white terrorism and not necessarily being able to see, like, yep, that's the same thing as basically what happened in, like, Barcelona. I think... Maybe the way I was reading these articles is I, I found that it was generally trying to contextualise why Charlottesville, why... This, so the the protest began with the, the state trying to remove a statue of <coughs> General Robert E. Lee. Yep. And a lot of the coverage was talking about why this was the symbol that sparked this division between, you know, white supremacist groups um, and the alternative right and the left and talking about the division within the United States and this is kind of the the centre point of this division mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to watch American coverage maybe because they're a lot closer to I guess this fraction within their society mm-hmm that there's a, a type of reporting that they use. I think what's interesting maybe in Australia is creating a kind of a, a comparison between what's happening in America and what's happening in Australia. Now, currently we haven't had any forms of violence mm. between the alt-right and left. Uh, recently, however, Andrew Bolt was targeted by what was seen as the, the alternative radical left, and that became kind of a story for a while when he was glitter bombed um, and covered in shaving cream, and it became a bit of a sensationalist story because it caused a bit of a brawl in a Sydney cafe. But apart from that, we haven't seen levels of violence emerging between white supremacist groups and the left, and I think this is largely to do with the fact that maybe Australia doesn't have that kind of extreme white like supremacist never had the KKK. We've never had anything like that. Yeah. Or at least not. Like, yes, we're a colonialist country. Um, yes, we kind of really badly screwed over the Indigenous Australians, but we've never had a group like the KKK that had such prominence. I think this is not to say that Australia doesn't have racist Yeah, uh, but we've never themes. had an organisation that has, like, lynched people throughout like if you if you compare like if you look at the kkk and how they've worked and how they've operated um for like you know last hundred years like the fact that they could just kill people like we've never had something like that absolutely never yeah i think 
Australia, the way it's been described to me previously is Australia has a lot of low-level racism, but very few incidences of high-level mm. racism. So it's very rare. Uh, of course, we can think of the Cronulla riots, but it's very rare to have active violence between different, like, racist versus anti-racist groups yeah. that do, like, result in huge levels of violence. And I think that's something interesting to note when we talk about the Triple J hack mm. report, which kind of tried to bring what is effectively quite a small group of neo-Nazi sympathisers based in Australia. It was to try and give their voice. But what the criticism that a lot of people had of the Triple J uh, conversation was that it tried it almost gave them too much legitimacy mm. this is a group that i one of the the groups that i know of on twitter has only around 500 followers and if you look at their follower lists they're mainly international groups who are you know, united in the movement but not physically in australia this mm. is a fringe group with maybe you know less than 100 like active members yeah this is a very small minority mm. and to give them national prominence and to put them on TV and put their face out there is to kind of promote their cause, especially if, if the they're inter- so, if, especially if they're so small, mm. any publicity is good publicity for them. Exactly. And I think as well, we've never really like, we've had other forms of racism, as you said, but we haven't had racism like that before. And it's not, you know, this is not the love it or leave it people. This is this is like legit, but very, very small. I think it's and it's hack. And I'm just I've got a thing about hack. Yeah, so Triple J <laughs> Hack got into some trouble uh, for generally repeating this idea of false equivalence and also trying to pick topics that were just meant to make basically a Twitter fight. Mm. A lot of their content is mainly skewed towards putting these two sides together, (laughs) putting these two sides together, knowing that they all have very active and angry Twitter followers and kind of pushing them into a fight by putting them on the same, same page. And so this was (laughs) quite notoriously done with the male privilege episode. And again, to see it with neo-Nazis is concerning because not only are you, are you, just stirring up trouble Mm. but you're doing it for a group that is actually not that prominent in Australia and you're just giving them publicity which is not something you want for this type of group. Absolutely not. We're going to go to another song now this is Tears for Fears with Everybody Wants to Rule the World. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. Um, You can also follow us on Twitter Um, our Twitter account is at Sin Represent and you can follow our Facebook Facebook.com forward slash Sin Represent. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. with Everybody Wants to Rule the World. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. And what time is it? It's time for Pop Chat. Pop Chat. Pop Chat. Um, and what a Pop Chat we have this week. Um, so, Zizi, I'm going to start off with you. You've got quite a few stories. 
Uh, once again, we're turning to the Senate for our pop chat. Always an interesting rap bag group of people. And I guess the thing that captured the na- nation's attention this week is Pauline Hansen's little stunt where she entered the chambers dressed in a burqa. Um, this was obviously a move by One Nation to forward their push to ban the f- full face covering in public areas. Um, and what her, her she entered the the parliament, um, knowing that it would cause a lot Andrew. of media attention, and that <coughs> I guess she would get a lot of publicity out of it, and she succeeded. She absolutely um, did, succeeded, absolutely. Everyone's covering it. it. It they're quite dramatic images, and I think with a minor party like this that hasn't been in the news for a while for very good things. Um, I think she's really appealing to her familiar territory um, and I guess where her voters are comfortable with, which is these kind of anti-immigration, anti, like anti-Islamic kind of themes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... There was lots and lots of responses to, um, to like, basically what's happened, um, what she did, um, and we're going to play some of it. Um, the first one I'm going to play is actually probably the, um, the most kind of, the one that's really been making the rounds on Twitter, which is, um, George Bradis's response. Um, so here it goes. And to ridicule that community, to draw drive it into a corner to mock its religious garments is an appalling thing to do and I would ask you to reflect on what you have done. Order. 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 And basically they just keep on clapping, clapping for a while. They clap for a very long time. Well, I think uh, it is very easy for George Brandis to condemn Pauline Hanson um, in terms of this this little stunt, I think basically no one came out in support of her no one in did. the Senate. Um, what is interesting thing to consider is that while George Brandis is condemning Pauline Hanson, he is still the instigator of trying to change 18C. Absolutely, which, which would make it it which basically makes it illegal for hateful and defamatory speech against groups and communities. Um, and to come out and condemn Pauline Hansen for this act, while definitely a good move, does is tempered slightly. Yeah, totally, absolutely. And I think, um, I think also the fact that everyone spoke out against it is actually just giving Pauline Hansen and her supporters more ammo. Um, it's pro- it's proving to Pauline Hansen's supporters that. You know, um, Pauline's out there being edgy. She's asking the real questions that people care about, apparently. And, you know, old, stuffed-up politicians who are part of the establishment, you know, are just too PC to deal with these things. And that I'm actually quite concerned about because everyone here is trying to make a case to show how moral they are. Um, Even Pauline Hanson's doing that here. Um, it's it's all about like saving face, but I think it should be said that you know politicians 
what were they supposed to do? I mean, he Absolutely. George Brandis <laughs> responded in the swiftest possible time in the chamber and was quite emotional and, you know, genuinely upset by it. And I think that's really impressive that he stood up and that's why he received a standing ovation from the Greens and the Labour members who were in the chamber and had that extended um, standing ovation. But, um, yeah, t- caught between um, a rock and a hard place on this one because if he hadn't condemned it, that would have also been newsworthy. So, you know, of course, of course he came out and condemned it. But it was the emotion that was quite noteworthy in this yeah, case. Yeah, definitely. Um, so going on to other issues, Steve Bannon. He's yeah. going reached away. <laughs> Steve Bannon has disappeared uh, from his role was it chief advisor? I believe, I believe it was, it was a, a slightly key ambiguous as his formal role in Trump's cabinet. But the very controversial uh, publicist of Breitbart has left the White House. And I, I think quite a few people who are against the Trump administration are celebrating. Uh, but I think this is a symbol of something very interesting happening in the administration itself. I think this is a clear shift away from Trump the campaigner and back to, I guess, less extreme versions of the Trump White House. Mm -hmm. We see, I wouldn't say moderates, but definitely less of the extreme figures being kind of culled out of the inner circle and being replaced by other factions. who he will be replaced with is very interesting, but of course the fact that he's been pushed out and replaced with other kind of factions is going to mark a huge shift in American politics. Mm. Yeah, it's just it's just surprising. It's just like you know, um, there's some serious shakeups happening in American politics right now and. It's kind of it's a bit like Australian politics. It's like who's going to stay? Who's going to who's going to stick around? Who's going to ascend? You know, it's very it's very hard. It's certainly a nightmare if you're working in human resources. Mm. Oh God! Oh God! <sighs> That'd be very difficult. Um, so also for Pop Chat, I wanted to just put shout out if you haven't enrolled or if you haven't checked your enrollment do it online now for the AEC Um, it's on the AEC website you want to do it for that postal survey it's coming out you've got to have heard about it yeah Um, but do it now if you haven't checked Um, and you've got to do it by the 24th of August Uh, get it done of course, what's interesting now is that the Australian Electoral Commission is actually saying that they'll allow digital voting um, in the plebiscite to get over the issues of uh, inequalities in accessing <coughs> postal services. Uh, a lot of young people obviously don't always have uh, a stable address or up-to-date details on their residential address. The um, Technically, it would be the ABS. Mm. Australian Bureau of Statistics, who is technically running the... Are we allowed to call it a vote, poll, survey? Um, Look, I'm going with survey, but... Survey. Survey. I think you can call it what you want. (laughs) (laughs) So the the Australian Bureau of Statistics, who is running the the same-sex marriage survey, is saying that they will try and create some sort of function to allow us to vote online. But of course, if you want to be able to vote online, you have to be registered and you have to be on the roll. So Um, please, please, like, just enroll, because... 
and I think also those those measures are really targeting um, people. There's been a lot of talk of um, remote and regional communities that don't get um, mail uh, regularly, and also um, overseas um, voters. So um, if you have the opportunity, take it and um, just go to that website. It should be on your favourites anyway. AC heart out. Yeah, so that's pretty much it for this week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our episode. We'll be back next week, same time, um, same place. Um, We are going to hopefully finally get a whole heap of podcasts done. Um, You might be listening to one of many podcasts that we have um, actually finally uploaded. Um, Sorry about the delay. and you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Where can we find those podcasts? It's on Omni. We'll be sharing it through Twitter and Facebook. So um, Twitter is at represent and Facebook is facebook.com forward slash represent. I'm Julia. I'm Zizi. I'm Isadora. And stay political. You're listening. You've, sorry, you were listening to Represent on Sin Nation.